Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. Well, welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with Taylor Jancha, managing partner at Downhole Well Solutions. Taylor, how you doing today, buddy? Good, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you bet. It's funny. So we're it's May thirteenth, and it sounds like you know both you and I we actually went to some restaurants today and act civilized for once. How'd that feel, buddy? That's right. A little weird, but <laughs> but really good too. First spot we went to, yeah, didn't quite have the opportunity to sit down. They still weren't open, but we we found a spot and got to enjoy some fellowship. So nice, good stuff. Nice. And City Center, you said, right? That's right. Yeah. That's awesome, man. City Center is a good spot. You know, the first time I actually went to City Center, I went to Cyclone Anias. And it was when I had first moved to Houston. And, you know, they always said, oh, you know, the, the margarita's here, not too bad. And of course, you know, you get brave and you have one. And then the next thing you know, you're four or five deep. Well, I got pretty sick over there at Cyclone Anias. And so whenever I look at it, I just kind of shake my head. And I've been back since. But between, you know, the unlimited amount of chips and then you get going with the margaritas, it's it makes for an interesting afternoon for sure. That's right. It could be a little dangerous recipe. <laughs> yeah. It's a good time though. But so did they have the tables spread out or did they have signs on it? Like how did that look for that restaurant that you were at today? Yeah, they did. Matter of fact, a buddy that I went with was telling me this place is kind of famous for brunch after churches on Sundays. And normally he was explaining to me the way the tables were set up. And yeah. he's like, man, there may be you know, 10, 15% of the tables in here that normally are. And so everything was definitely spaced out and all the servers were wearing masks and gloves and, yeah. and doing all that stuff. But it but it was great. Food was good and, yeah. and fellowship. So it's good to start getting out and I know it, man. conversing. Yeah, it's funny because I actually, so through the whole quarantine and I mean, I guess we're still kind of in it, but I was kind of, I was seeing how, so And I knew on the last day of being at the office, I forget exactly what day it was, but I filled up my car and I was like, I wonder how long I can go off one tank of gas. Now, all the oil field people out there probably hate me. They're like, you probably should have been driving around burning gas. Well, I'm sure I didn't move the needle by not doing that. But I filled up, it was like six weeks that I kept one tank of gas. And so it was just like kind of like an internal, you know, like competition. I'm like, I wonder. And then I would, you know, talk to like, have you filled up your gas tank yet? And they're like, yeah, I've been driving. Like, what the hell have you been doing? <laughs> like, well, like, well I, I drive to the grocery store, which is like a mile down the road, and I don't really have a need to go too many places. That's right. And then, you know, because I've got two kids, so we'll hop in the in the SUV or truck, they call it down here. But, you know, my wife, so we burned fuel in hers. But uh, yeah, I went like almost six weeks without filling up my gas tank, which was kind of funny. But it feels good to go back to the gas tank and, you know, pay my dues and get the demand of oil going up hopefully here soon. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, I appreciate you coming out. Are you a mask guy or no? To be honest, no, I'm not. Okay. Um, me neither. It's one of those that hey, I'm respectful of everybody who is wearing one and for sure and, and doing all that, but I'm not, not right. a mask guy. Hey, that's fine. Although so, I did, I, I did went, I had to go get a haircut the other day. And so yeah. it was one of their 
one of their rules to come okay. in. And so I'm not going to make a, a fit about it. Hey, For no, sure. No problem. I'll put one on if that's what y'all, yeah. you know, advise. So, yeah. So how did they cut around your ears with the mask on? So a little bit of funny story, by the yeah. way. So yeah. people may not be able to see right now, but one of my, like I get haircuts like all the time. Like I can't normally yeah. uh, before all this happened. So <laughs> I can't too. stand when it gets a little bit long so I actually had my three boys like give me a buzz on the back porch. Okay. Well, that was two and a half weeks ago or so. And I've been wearing a ball cap a bunch and, and all that. But the way my hair grows, I look kind of like a chia pet once it starts going. And so <laughs> kind of like me <laughs> when, when things finally opened back up and I ran over to sports clips the other day and I was like, Hey, I just need the sides trimmed a little bit because they're shooting they're straight. Getting, no, I call it the nerf helmet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but it was good. I actually didn't even have a rag. I had like a little towel in my truck Okay. Uh, and they said, Hey, as long as you hold it up here. So I actually didn't have ah. uh, the ear problem with the, with the straps on. So it worked out. Yeah, man. You know, you look clean. I normally get my hair cut once every two to three weeks. And after that, cause I hate, I like to meet, you know, keep it high and tight and crisp. And you know, when you're going to visit customers, you got to look the part. Well, I look like a shaggy dog right now. So it's going to be interesting once we start going to visit customers. And my wife's like, oh, keep your hair growing. I'm like, it's it's in that medium spot where it's like, it's kind of fluffy and out, you know, just out of control and doesn't really look good. So yeah, just, you know, part of the world's problems right now with, with getting back to normal is That's figuring right. out what to do with your what, hair. What to do with the hair. That's right. <laughs> right on. Well, before we keep going here, I just want to highlight some neat technology provided by our new sponsor, which is Technip FMC. They continue to transform the energy industry with a modular single-line high-pressure hydraulic fracture missile system. Their surface technology superfrac system is an onshore field-proven technology that reduces iron connections and is easily configured to fit any frac pad design. If you want to check out more information, please click the link in the show notes. So Taylor, certainly a pleasure to meet you. And, you know, Tim Taylor, who we were talking about, speaks very highly of, of you and, and the rest of the guys over at DWS. So I kind of have a little bit of history with with one of the gentlemen at your work, Chandler, actually, which is your younger brother, I'm assuming. That's right. And we met in Denver and we were talking about this a little bit ago. But, you know, I met him and Lance Blanchard at Earl's and, you know, we hit it off and just a great guy. And and so how has Chandler adjusted? Because he's been down in Houston now for a while, right? He did. So he spent time there in Denver working for Halcon yeah. um, and then had the opportunity to come back here and work for a small operator, Earthstone Operating, and they had assets in South Texas and West Texas. And so he helped manage the drilling operations for both of those assets before we started DWS. That's right. And you guys are originally from Texas, correct? We, Chandler and I were both born and raised in Conroe um, right. and still live in the same area, vicinity. I'm a little further west in Montgomery, but basically... Still living right where we grew up. Right. No, that's neat. Is it? Had you always been here, or had you? Did you move around for the oil field? No, I really didn't. When I graduated from Connor High School, went to school at Texas A and M, and after that, basically moved back home and got into the oil field, and you know, drove down to Houston pretty much every day, and and that sort of thing. But didn't my time has always been spent primarily here around the greater Houston area. Interesting. So. For me, like, cause I grew up in Canada, but what, what's it like growing up in, in Conroe and in, in Houston and stuff like that? Like, what was your best memory of growing up from around here? Man, so Conroe's in Montgomery County, which consists of the Woodlands and some other, and I may be wrong on this. It's either the fastest or has been one of the fastest growing counties in the U.S. 
Really? Period. And so I remember growing up, Highway 105, State Highway 105 runs east and west. And I remember growing up, it was literally just a, a two-lane road. Okay. Uh, pine trees on each side. There's, And so I just, it's pretty crazy to, time has flown by so fast. But if I actually stop and think, you know, there's a Home Depot on the corner of I-45 and 105. And I was like, I remember driving past there. Yeah. And it's nothing but trees. And so Montgomery County, or at least Conroe, was a is a fairly small town, but well-knit community. So I feel like there's a lot of people who grew up there, went off to school, came back to some former fashion. And so you feel like you kind of know everybody there, yeah. even as bigger, you know, as big as it, it's gotten. It was a great place to grow up and, and live a little bit. It definitely wasn't necessarily the city, but you kind of had, it's not like you were driving 15 miles to go to the grocery store or anything like that, but kind of that small town feel. Yeah. But at the same time, man, it has exploded over the last 20 years. Yeah, it has. We got some folks. I don't know if you know Chris Campbell or Mike Christensen. There's some folks that I work with that are part of the Montgomery Mafia is what I like to call them. They are. So I do know Mike uh, okay. very well and his brother-in-law and all that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. No, it, we're all interconnected somehow, especially that, in the oil field. That's right. Is Conroe still a, like a decent lake to go out on a boat with? Because like, the last time I went on, it was I think there was a drought and there wasn't too much water. But is that still popular up there? It is. I mean, very much a recreational lake. The city of Houston, I believe, owns the actual water rights. So aside from evaporation and whatever, if, you know, water ever needs to be, it can fluctuate quite a bit. Yeah. But it is still very popular. It's kind of a big wash tub now, though, because everything's bulkheaded. You know, there's not a a ton of just raw shoreline. But yes, I'm sure in things is it's kind of people start getting back to normal activities over the summer and all that it's it can get rough on the weekends because it is popular to to be out there yeah no it's definitely not like the freshwater lakes and the rockies but it's the best we got and then there's lake houston right which is not too bad i've been on that yeah so so growing up in texas are you a big football fan i am of course right like when i when i think like growing up in canada i think of texas and all i think about is like football and like cowboys and just you know you know the wild wild west and then of course you get the movie that comes out of the permian there which friday night lights right so you know coming down here is it was neat because i grew up playing football you know in canada yeah and it's not soccer it's actual it was american football we played so but you know it's neat and and you know just the sports culture and stuff down here and then so did you play football growing up i did i played football in high school of course all growing up but played football in in high school what position so i kind of played both ways but more like a wing back as far as on the offensive side of the ball and then uh, a little bit of safety on the the defensive side but uh, so you got some wheels well not definitely not anymore (laughs) at the the time I, i wasn't the slowest guy on the the team for sure but actually my I actually went to to school and played golf oh, after nice. after high school. Okay, and so that was a little more fitting for. I wouldn't have been a very good next level football player. <laughs> I don't think there wasn't a whole lot of offer letters uh, coming my direction. <laughs> but football's still probably my my favorite sport. I mean, I love to watch it and kind of root for your team. No kidding. So I was going to ask about the NFL, but you went to A and M, right? I did. And Chandler went to UT. Yes. Tell us about the bro rivalry. Is it pretty strong or what? It is, but so he'll get mad at me a little bit. But um, (laughs) so Chandler and I were pretty much raised. My uncle and my grandfather all graduated from from A&M and my aunts. And so we were kind of raised around that atmosphere, went to College Station for for games. And it wasn't until right before Chandler graduated, he was actually from high school. He's planning on going to to A&M. Okay. Uh, But he went ahead and applied to UT and – 
and tech and basically other state schools. And, and I have another uncle who, who's done very well and a big UT alumni guy. And actually we were at Thanksgiving, you know, Aggies and Longhorns played each other every Thanksgiving for, for years and years. And it was one of the last, like second or, or third last time they played each other. But historically, UT has typically beaten us, you know, more often than not. But right. we had kind of caught them two years in a row. Well, we were all there watching the game around Thanksgiving and giving my UT uncle some pretty good grief about, you know, all this. So he had had him a couple of glasses of wine, and he's like, we'll see how loyal Chandler is. And he said, <laughs> i tell you what, you go to UT and I'll pay for your school. How loyal are you? So your uncle offered to pay for school if Chandler would go to UT. UT. So, okay, then what happens? My parents looked over at each other and was like, you're going to UT. And so, <laughs> yeah, uh, as a parent, I'd probably be doing the same thing. That's right. And so he went to UT and a bunch of his buddies, high school buddies did Okay. Uh, also. And so we... You know, Chandler's a little better, probably because we don't win as often as <laughs> as they have in the past or whenever. But yeah. so I try to rub it in anytime we beat them in something, which wasn't very, very often. But Chandler's a really good sport about it. Okay. Um, and I think deep down inside, he still kind of bleeds maroon a little bit because oh, okay. he'll, uh, he'll root for us there a lot more than I'll root for them. So <laughs> that's funny, man. It's the rivalry down here is hilarious with regards to that. I, I mean, I, I'm not bias towards any team i mean coming down here i i've you know i've cheered for a&m i've cheered for lsu i've cheered for you know anyone relatively close by i guess you know sure but you know so are you guys competitive it doesn't sound like there's too much competitive by nature or do you guys compete on you know you and your brothers do you find that much with like with work or sports i know he golfs he's pretty good yeah so very much we are maybe it's a little fault of ours but my whole f- family, we're extremely, extremely competitive. And so it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's playing cards, sports, or, you know, foot race, it's always like, let's go. Yeah. Uh, and so there's always bets being made and all that. So <laughs> nice. so we, ver- we very much are. And our partner also is speaking of that. So Chandler graduated from UT. Our partner graduated from U of H and I'm from ah. A&M. He's really competitive too. Okay. And so we, we, there's a lot of ribbon that goes around the office, but it helps keep it, keep it fun. Too. It does. And, yeah. and competition drives performance that's too. Right. You know, that's what we like to say. So with regards to football, going to A&M, are you a Johnny Manziel fan? As a football player? A hundred percent as a football player. <laughs> okay. I don't want to, you know, hey, he, he did a lot of things for, for A&M, you know, on the football <laughs> yeah. field. There's obviously, you're kind of like, man, what are you doing? You got, you got a lot of opportunity that's being wasted here, but, but a hundred percent, I mean, what he, what he did on the football field for us against some of the best football teams in the country was, I don't care where you went and whatever, you don't have to like him personally, but man, what an athlete. Yeah. I think the numbers speak for themselves. If you yeah. look back and what he did and just a heck of an athlete. And aside from what he did off the field, everyone's got an opinion. But one of my buddies who's a drilling engineer went to A&M and apparently was playing pickup basketball. And this was before, you know, the old Johnny football made a name for himself. But he said they all went in, were kind of dribbling, shooting around. And, you know, all of a sudden this white dude comes up, you know, six, whatever he is. He's not a cute, like super, super tall. And he all of a sudden grabs a ball and just makes this like monstrous dunk over everybody. And everyone kind of was like, who is this kid? And yeah, you could tell he was just a heck of an athlete. And then 
you know, however many years later it was, he was like, holy cow, that, you know, that, that's the guy that we came and played pickup ball with us. And so it's in- always interesting. I always like to ask folks from that went to A&M about Johnny Manziel. But yeah. so anyway, did you, so going to college, did you know you, like your heart was set on getting into oil and gas or, or did you, I mean, what did you want to do growing up? Was it to get into oil and gas? Well, I was, I guess it was always in front of me. Uh, Chandler mm-hmm. and I's grandfather, my mom's dad, and then my mom's brother, had, their careers were in oil and gas. So I feel like we heard a lot about it growing up, even when we were younger, you know, just what was going on, even if you didn't really know what they were talking about then. It seemed like we'd heard about it for a long time. And so I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do for sure, but I had heard about oil and gas for so long. And then I I worked for some land developers in high school and stuff. And so I was kind of like, probably one of those two would be, you know, something fun to go into. And so Mm -hmm. happened just honestly, because of my uncle and where he was as I didn't have this master plan of getting a degree and I want to go do this. I mean, it was, it was graduating from A&M and, you know, starting to wonder, okay, what am I going to do to make a living now that I get out? And so I was talking to my uncle and set up some interviews and basically been in it ever since. Nice. Nice. So talk about your journey, you know, post-college, you get out. I know you've been on the drilling side of things, but talk a little bit about the transition, you know, how that went down until starting DWS. Okay. So yeah, I graduated from A&M in 2006 and went to work for Tesco Services on the tubular side. Okay. For still a really good friend. You may even know him, Tommy Hover. He, he kind of knows everybody, but- the name sounds familiar. He gave me an opportunity through my my uncle to basically- sell running, running casing and start out in the field and then move into city sales. And so I spent a couple of years with, with Tesco and then a family friend of Chandler and I's was the vice president of Leem, directional drilling company. We started running into, running into each other a bunch and just talking, Hey, you know, how do you like what you're doing and all that stuff. And was telling him all about it. And he's, you know, told me about directional drilling at the time. That was when man, a lot of stuff was starting to go horizontal and it sounded interesting. And and he gave me an opportunity to come over there and sell in Houston. And so I spent seven years selling in Houston for Lame on the directional side. And then my boss got promoted upward and it gave me the opportunity to kind of step into those shoes and spent the last three years as vice president of sales at Lame. Okay. And then, you know, roughly now almost a year and a half ago, Chandler and I and and our partner got together and founded DWS and and been on that journey for the about the last 14 months. Right. So let's before we get on to the DWS side, you have a obviously a strong good amount of experience on the sales side. Had you always been a salesman or did you just kind of go get into that role? Like talk about oil field sales and, and what you know your your thoughts are on that and your experience as a salesman. So I don't know that I always thought I'd be in sales and I don't know how good one I am, but I've never been afraid to go talk to somebody Mm -hmm. um, and try to stir up a conversation and never been, you know, afraid to say, I don't know, or, or whatever. And so I wouldn't say it's like, man, I want to go do sales so I can do that. It's just maybe kind of the timing or that was the first option that I was given through, through Tesco. But, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, maybe by default, I think, you know, some, commonalities with really good salespeople are kind of, even if they don't know, it's like they're, they're not afraid to ask and somebody's going to look at them like, how don't you know this? You know, it's just kind of like, if you're just kind of honest and, and not afraid to ask and, and talk, then I think it, it gives you a leg up as opposed to, 
just having tons of knowledge on product, but you don't really know how to communicate it simply right. um, to people. If that, I don't know if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. So your time spent in sales at Lean, what was your biggest takeaway? I mean, obviously Lean is a fairly decent sized company. You know, they're in a bunch of different basins, but what was the biggest takeaway that you have being there that you've been able to apply, you know, now at your own company? Sure. It's the directional business and it's, it's gotten worse. And by worse, I don't mean negative, just more. It is extremely crucial and all eyes are on it. These, these wells have started to be drilled faster and faster. And so providing a good service in terms of good quality equipment and good quality people, it wasn't an option. I mean, there's there's 20 other ones that are waiting right behind you if you start slipping up. And so when I say customer service, I kind of mean that as the whole ball of wax, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's having a good product, having good people. It's really kind of the start to finish that hit home to me because if you're not doing it, there's somebody who's hungry right behind you that's waiting on an opportunity to give their company a shot. And that's something that that we really prided ourselves on when we started DWS, especially me. Thankfully, Chandler and Avi were were on board with it at all. But I was very much like, this is the way we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. If not, then we're not, We're. I mean, what makes us different? Uh, exactly. And so I think the whole customer service from start to finish, especially during the, these times is is super critical. Yeah. Well, it's, it's something, and I think Mark Cuban actually said it is work like someone's working 24 hours to take it all away from you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that you got to provide not only just good service day in and day out, but providing the full experience from cradle to grave. All of my customers have said, if I can go to bed at night and not have to worry about your service, wake up, know everything's taken care of, know that you've got my back and you make my job easier, it's easy for me to support you and and what you guys are doing for us as a company. And so, you know, in offering up, and especially during the downturn, what I've found is extremely important is is not only offering your services, but offering yourself up as a resource for your customers, whether it's, you know, helping them out with picking up groceries or, you know, whatever, helping them out at any capacity helps build that relationship and trust. And so it's not just about, hey, check out this cool tool, you know, it's going to make you drill better, but how can I make your life better and then allow you to sleep better at night? And, and that where I think takes customer service to a whole nother level. hundred percent. So no, I can certainly identify with you guys there. So how did you, at what point in time did you say, I'm ready to take a leap of faith, drop my you know career and start something that obviously there's tremendous amount of risk involved? Sure. Talk about that. So Chandler and I, I don't necessarily remember exactly how long before, but Chandler and I had always kicked around the idea of doing something together, kind of like what what you and I talked about, combining Chandler's knowledge of the end user or the product that you and I as sales guys would be calling on, Mm -hmm. along with hopefully my contacts and kind of survey of the market and kind of bring that together for that service that you're talking about, you know, to where somebody can. It's like, hey, I... With Chandler on the operation side, I can go lay down at night and feel confident because I know this guy knows what I'm going through and can mm-hmm. offer the best solution or or tool setup, et cetera. So we had run some different, you know, 
you see something and it kind of spurs on an idea. And so you're kind of like, hey, let's run like a quick financial model. What would it cost to start this up? What kind of revenue could you bring in? What are the risks? Yeah. So we did that just very 30,000 foot level just to see. And it's like pretty quickly, we would always run into something that that was you're kind of like, man, if this one little thing goes wrong, then, that, then we kind of don't have a business, right? Mm-hmm. And then so coming to what made us decide to do it, was I had worked with now our partner, a sister company of Lame, basically was developing the same type of tool that we offer now. And he ended up leaving. Well, Chandler and I were kicking around and I happened to keep running into our partner, Avi, and just, hey, how are you doing? It kind of weren't, and I was kind of like, hang on, this may be, I've seen what he can do. So I kind of talked to Chandler about it and we started kicking it around and, you know, went to lunch and kind of, hey, this is kind of what we're thinking of doing with this model fit, which you can create. And so it did. And so was there a lot of risk for all of us? Yes. You know, I had a family and kids and, and then Chandler had a really good job, you know, also. And, and so, yes, there was risk, but we, the more and more we got around each other and talked, the more we felt like this is worth it. It's worth taking the risk because you, you got, we knew this guy could build a good tool. Mm-hmm. I knew that Chandler knew operations. And then I had confidence that I was like, man, if we can hit those two things, I think I can get it in front of some people, you know, to give us a shot. Yeah. It, it happened pretty quick. I mean, literally this idea, I mean, the first time we kicked it around was a little over two years ago. And then it was kind of off and on. And then it got a little bit more serious. And then end of February of last year, we, you know, we filed our paperwork to start the LLC, Downhole Well Solutions, and and off and running, you know, and trying to get a tool to the market as quick as possible so we could start getting some revenue coming in. Right. But also making sure we were bringing a good product to market, not just rushing to get something out. For sure. So talk a little bit, and I've started a couple LLCs with, you know, in different capacities, but I always find it interesting. So, you know, everyone's got good ideas. Pen starts, you know, getting to paper, you start looking at numbers, say, okay, this makes sense. How did you, and at what point did you sort of outline expectations? Okay, we start the LLC. Well, it's easy to sit around the table. Yeah, we should start an LLC, but okay, who's actually going to go onto the computer, click the buttons to make it happen? How did you sort of structure who does what when creating something from nothing? No, great question. So with, it was primarily Chandler and I, as far as is forming legally and all that stuff. So we kind of broke it into two roles. One, Chandler did a bunch of crunching the numbers, putting together. I mean, he's an engineer and can flip a spreadsheet around and he <laughs> yeah. used to create an AFEs, et cetera. So he kind of did that, you know, and he we took a real simple approach to start the LLC, you know, it was like LegalZoom.com. Or, yeah. Oh, I, uh, it's super easy. Yeah. And so he did that. And then my role was more talking to the bank and getting a set up in terms of what, what they needed from us to to do this. And so we kind of separated it in, into those two categories, basically. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Cause like, I find when, you know, if, and it's interesting cause you have, like you said, you, Chandler's, you know, operations, engineering, you have yourself, business development, sales, you know, get in front of people. And, and so you guys each bring value from different angles. And that's one thing that I always, you know, talking to folks that are wanting to start something, whether it's oil and gas or not, is is finding people to team up with that can compensate for your weaknesses. And, and not to say you're weak or he's weak in any area, but understanding your strengths and then divide and conquer, yes. right, I, I think is extremely important in this case. And, and, and sort of is certainly an example of what you guys did. How important was it to sort of 
identify the right partner? And it sounds like a gentleman that you'd worked with and stuff like that. Were there other candidates or did you kind of know right away, like this guy is the missing piece to our puzzle to make this work? We need this guy. How did you navigate that? Yeah, we didn't really have other candidates because the idea came about as just, I knew him that he could he could develop this tool. And so it was more us crunching numbers. And then as we got together, all I can say is we have been extremely blessed for exactly what you've been talking about, because we really do. The three of us all know what each other is good at. Yeah. And we kind of stay in those lanes. Not, I mean, we do it almost naturally, but there's zero I can contribute to tell him how to make this tool better or sure. whatever. Or, and I sure can't tell Chandler the proper way to, to drill a well. Uh, sure. And so we just kind of have this, this circle going that awesome. they all overlap and exactly what you said. So, and, and all I can say is we've been very blessed that we didn't have to cycle through. Well, this didn't work with this guy. So let's go try. We've been very blessed from the get go that we've had a really good team Everybody trusts each other and, and we're competitive at the same time too. Yeah. And so we push each other too, even though I don't know how to build a tool, but it's been very, very good and something to be thankful for. And I do think about it and I know, I know Chandler and Avi do also, but we're lucky that it happened that way. Cause it could have not been, it could have been, Hey, there's two of them that really see eye to eye. And there's a third that is, is opposed all the time. And, and we, we really haven't had that. So sure. I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. So talk about working alongside, you know, your brother. What's it like working with, and it sounds like you guys have a good relationship and a good working relationship, but but more so like, do you guys, whenever you see each other naturally just start talking about the business? Because I would assume that like, like, is it hard to separate just like family fun time to like business talk or, you know, talk a little bit about that? It is to a degree, you know, Chandler loves coming to see my, my three boys and little girl and Chandler just got married. And so his wife has been great with them also, cool. but we always end up talking about it to some degree, but I yeah. also feel like we do a pretty good job of, we really don't bring up stuff unless maybe there's something going on right now. And it's kind of like, you know, Chandler say, Hey, I just, just got a call from this rig. They're wanting to do this. What do you think? Or I'm saying, Hey, can we do this? And so we can, if we do have to talk about it, we kind of nip it right there and then move on. But I wouldn't say it consumes us when we do get together because we're around each other pretty much all day, you know, every day to where we can knock out a bunch of these, these issues, but it does, it does come up, but we try to separate it from, you know, just that's all you're talking about. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I could see that. Cause I mean, you live and die with, you know, DWS. And so that's, that's, right. that's what's providing food on the table. So that's good that you guys have that relationship to where there is a balance. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the market conditions right now, you know, so, and we can get into, you know, what you, what the specifics is that you offer, but you're in the drilling space, uh, as am I talk about the challenges that you've experienced with the market conditions. <laughs> Obviously the rig count is almost, it's going to be at an, an all time low here before long you know, in both you and I, we are at the mercy of rig count. How have you approached it? And how are you guys kind of preparing yourselves in hopes to make this make, you know, come out of this extremely you know strong and in ready to capitalize on the uptick? Sure. So what we did internally was run a bunch of models to see where we can save cost. And we did that before we even thought about any personnel. I mean, you know, what fixed or hard costs can we reduce starting out to see how nimble we can get? Mm -hmm. And then 
from the sales, you know, I felt like it was my job to start projecting what it was going to going to look like and how it fit with that with that model. And just like you, I mean, we know a lot of people that are I know a lot of people that are smarter than me and have been through stuff. Likewise. And, <laughs> yeah, and even though this is unprecedented as far as what happens, you, you know, you kind of take a piece from this guy over here that's really smart and almost kind of start forming your opinion mm-hmm. based on, you know, an idea from multiple people yep. and kind of see where it's going. And so just basically kind of made a prediction. And so, you know, last Friday, I think U.S. land recount sitting there at 358, 359, whatever it is. And for the last, we've been telling our people and all that, I was kind of making a guess. You know, we told all of our team members, I hope we're wrong. You know, I hope, hope this isn't right, but it would be foolish of us not to try to set up the business to where it could at least operate in this level. Yeah. And so however much it goes, I mean, you're at 359 right now. I would imagine it's going to end up bottoming somewhere in between two and 300 rigs. On, I agree. On land. Now, I hope it's 299 as opposed to 201. No kidding. Um, but we've kind of set up that way to to be set up for us to know at a bottom, here's what we need to do. The other thing we've been doing that is really hard for me, and I've talked about this with a couple other people, but through this quarantine and everything that's going on, we do a lot of stuff marketing-wise that promotes the tool and all that, but kind of what you were talking about, about being there for people personally, unless it was something that was already in the hopper or people were asking about, I've been really trying not to call customers and ask them about, work or can you pick up this tool because mm-hmm. um, they may not even know whether their rig's going to stay running whether they how's their job security of course etc and so we're being patient and kind of waiting on this thing to bottom out and then whenever it does we're going to be really aggressive nice and i don't know that that's the right game plan but we're also not trying to hold on to something that's not there you know and of course kind of planning for hey this could be Worst case scenario, and if it's not, then that's great. <laughs> then we'll we'll take advantage of it not being right. Right. So, well, let's talk about DWS. So, tell us what services you offer. You guys specialize in a certain tool. So, talk a little bit about the unique technology that you're offering right now. Sure. So, we founded and started DWS for this friction reduction tool, and our tool is called the the Power Glide. And there's others out on the market. Nov had a patent on this tool for years that expired several years ago and then there's been other people trying to come to the market basically the industry has referred to this tool as the name they've referred to it as an agitator it's kind of like calling a coke a coke mm-hmm. even when company men call us out they're like hey send another agitator out here it's it's very well known that this was a good tool so we're coming into the space and obviously trying to provide as as good or better tool than what's out there along with that service so when we started dws in end of february 2019 we actually got our first run with the tool, which was very phenomenal and 100% due to Avi on on getting a really good product out that short of time. Our first tool went in the hole kind of mid-June, mm-hmm. you know, so four, four and a half months from nice. conceptual design to quotes, manufacturing, final testing, and and getting one out there. So our primary tool and, and thing that we provide is this power glider friction reduction tool. We've just come out by trying to add value during this this downturn. We've now got a function of the tool. We call it the Power Glide OD or on demand. 
So you're basically able to act, activate this tool with a ball drop. Oh, no. Um, and there's multiple uses for that. I don't know how deep we want to go into it, but it's not, it's not necessarily anything new. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to stay relevant and competitive with what other people have and show that, hey, DWS can provide that exact same quality tool, if not better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the service, you know, customer service side that goes with it, uh, hands down. Yeah, so, certainly. Uh, so being a drilling guy, of course, I got a few more like, technical questions, not get too crazy into the weeds, but is there, so I'm assuming this is for your typical like horizontal well, you're putting it, I don't know, where do you normally would put this in your BHA? Yeah, or kind, how? Of, kind of standard is going to be 2,500 to 3,000 foot behind the bit. Okay. If you run two tools, like a tandem tool setup, which we've we've just done and really good success with it, just for some... This isn't 100%, right? But let's just say if you're using 2,500 to 3,000 foot behind the bit for the primary, you could say, hey, safely, you know, on a 15,000 foot well, I'm going to run the other one another 3,000 foot back. So you're kind of splitting the difference, right? If you've got a 15,000 foot well, you're just trying to get this tool somewhere in the well to knock out about half of the lateral. Gotcha. So as you get closer to TD, it's getting a little bit harder to slide, et cetera. This is where that tool kind of comes to the rescue and kicks into gear. Gotcha. So you would use this in a conventional setup. You wouldn't, you wouldn't use this in an RSS system or do you? Or could you? Um, 100% you could. Majority of the time people right now are not running these with the rotary steerable they are running some other stick slip mitigation tools which is what this tool does also we have had multiple runs with a rotary steerable and our our thought behind that was to try to get enough data to show that maybe it rotary steerables are are great right they're really expensive mm-hmm. uh, and so any damages or repair costs if we could help mitigate some of the damage happening to that uh, tool yeah. is what we, the function, because obviously with rotary street, you're rotating the whole time, right? No sliding happening, but it is, you know, helps with stick slip, et cetera. And so that's what this tool does. So I don't, obviously things have, have pulled back a lot, but it is something we wanted to build a case study for to try to show maybe this is providing value or they're not. And we still want to do that. It's just, the timing needs to be right for to get enough runs together to be able to say, okay, this is what it did give us or, Hey, it really didn't do anything. And that's it. Sure. No kidding. So how important is it for you guys? And and are you able to, like, I know as a directional company, you're collecting data nonstop and you've got a, you know, directional driller on the rig. And so is it important for you guys to be constantly collecting data to do any type of analytics or is that something that you guys are doing or I don't know as a tool company if that's even sort of feasible like you know torque and drag modeling and then knowing because you said the ball drop so I'm assuming you go down you're drilling away and you don't need it well all of a sudden you start seeing something on surface you're like okay now drop the ball kick it in gear. I mean, is that, are you guys able to capture data to, to help quantify the value? Is yes, that- yes, we are and we do. And so it's really, we try to get as much information as we can, whether it's an engineer or an operator giving us access to, to PaySon or live EDR data, et cetera, to mm. where we can monitor what was your ROP before you picked this tool up, or maybe you ran a competitor's tool on the last well, yeah. but you're running a similar bit, motor BHA setup. So we try to capture as much as the operators are willing to let us do. Nice. It is a little different and you got to be respectful of that. Cause like on the directional side, you've got people on location that you can get feedback from. How's it doing? Well, really we try, we try to set up the tool optimally when it gives out there and we're trying to let it do the work and not bother the the company man you of know course. he's got other things to 
to worry about, but we do try to capture any of that data. So we can either make a recommendation to maybe change the configuration of the tool or, you know, how far back was it run? Could it be? We just try to get as much as we can. So we can try to be, and this is where Chandler, you know, really comes in about, you know, talking about if he sees anything that, Hey, we did see this over here. Maybe we should try, try that. Cool. But yeah. The more that we data we can get, the better. For sure. Talk a little bit about, so if folks out there aren't familiar with drilling, you're probably getting lost, but anyone, and I think most people now are on LinkedIn. And one of the things that I, you know, noticed right off the get-go is you have a really unique marketing campaign. You know, a lot of like the superhero theme and, yeah. and kind of putting the, the power glide in and creating this sort of, you know, this brand around it, which I think is fascinating. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your campaign there and sort of, you know, how these ideas came about and how that's helped you guys create awareness around your, what you guys are doing. So, yeah. And thank you for the compliments. I wish I could say, you know what, I'm, I, I came up with this because I saw this. I really wish I could say that it's not me. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but, and, but ultimately the puck, you know, or you have to allow it to happen. Sure. So, you know, I applaud you for having an open mind and doing things that are against the grain because oil and gas, we're not you know, we're not very savvy when it comes to stuff like that. So I applaud you guys for being open-minded enough to try something different. Well, thank you. And we've had a lot of compliments from people that we were kind of nervous about it at first because it is, it was different. And, mm-hmm. But we've had a lot of people, man, I really like, you know, what y'all are doing, who's doing that for you. Can you pass along the, the, <laughs> the contact? And I've said this to multiple, I feel like people are, are thinking, man, Taylor just doesn't want to let this guy out of the bag, you know, who's, <laughs> who's doing it and all that stuff. But we've tried to be respectful of him. And of kind course. of when we talked originally about what he was willing to do for us at the same time, protecting, you know, what he's already doing anyways. And so, but he, the creative and kind of out of the box stuff solely comes from, from him mm-hmm. in just kind of a different way. And that was his point. He's like, listen, nobody's doing this. Uh, right. It's a completely different angle to take. And I'll be honest, it was hard for Chandler, Avi and myself, the first couple of days, it's like, what does this have to do with, <laughs> how is this going to help or, yeah. or do, and something kind of like just, and I was like, I mean, we're so early on anyways, what's a cup, what's it going to hurt? You sure. know? And so we did it and they took off in terms of likes and comments and, you know, phone calls and, yeah. you know, this is, and so from that point on, it was trying to go, okay, let's don't keep this guy in a box. You just take off whatever ideas you come up with. And he, I mean, he, he runs everything by us and cause mm-hmm. he wants to make sure from a technical standpoint, um, right. Cause he's not from the, you know, the, the energy space or drilling side originally, but so he always makes sure, hey, is this the way this needs to look or, sure. or say? But other than that, when it comes up, you know, how about, you know, he's like, man, I feel like it, people just need like a superhero right now. So here's what I was yeah. thinking. I was like, I hadn't seen anything like it. So absolutely <laughs> yeah. run with it, man. Yeah. Um, no, that's cool. And then I seen one where it's like the gladiator with Chandler's face in there. I don't know if it's a gladiator, but it's <laughs> like uh, a Mel Gibson from that, uh, yeah, Brave, Braveheart. Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, and so like, and again, I know the gentleman you're speaking of, and I speak extremely highly of him. But aside from that, I mean, like as a company, you know, without, you know, obviously like you're saying you can't give credit, you can't take credit for that. But, but how is it, how important has that part of the business and energy that you guys have put into it and, you know, the, the capital that you've used for this marketing, 
where's the value in that for like for companies who are maybe on the cusp about, ah, oh, should we get into, you know, LinkedIn and do all this different stuff? Or should we just focus on cold calling and sure, you know, like where's the value in doing what you're doing? Sure. Great question. And so I had to learn this also. And so I had to get coached on this, but what you have to learn and decide is that marketing is not a direct line to sales slash revenue. Yeah. Um, and I didn't understand that at first. I kind of, man, if you're going to spend money on, you know, a brochure and that gets in front of people, that's helping you sell a job or whatever. So the two goals behind DWS's marketing style kind of first and foremost was we were a startup company. We're coming out with a tool that is not reinventing the wheel. We're just trying to offer as good or better with the customer service that goes with it. Mm -hmm. And so we're taking on some pretty big, trying to kind of step in their backyard, right? And so we needed to create the DWS brand as something that was not just mom and pop, even though we were a startup. And so just building that brand of, man, they seem like they not just seem like it, but they're broadcasting. They know what they're doing. And so that was the main reason. And the other was to to be creative and do something different, like a little bit uplifting in the environment and social media space that maybe it makes people laugh a little bit. Right. You know, Lord knows we all could use a laugh or two <laughs> yeah. over the past six, seven weeks. Isn't that but, true? But that's been the primary goals was was creating this brand. And it's hard to quantify. I mean, how many jobs have we sold off of it? I don't know, but I've had plenty of customers say, listen, I don't know if y'all's tool is necessarily the best one out there. But when I see y'all's marketing stuff, it sure seems like it's really good. Yeah. So that's enough. But I think you got to be willing to go. You can't go, okay, I'm going to spend this amount of money every month and it's going to translate to times whatever revenue. Yeah. And I think if you can look at it the way it's supposed to be, then you can feel comfortable about doing it. If you're just looking at it going, I'm going to put this in and I'm expecting this return kind of what some of the turns that we were looking for are almost intangible. Yes. And so I hope I'm rambling, but I hope no, that answered. Those are great points, Taylor. And I think a lot of people are slowly starting to realize that. And one thing that I've even noticed, you know, is I've had a lot of folks reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about starting a podcast, but are you seeing any more sales because of it? And cause you know, I have one with AES drilling fluids, which is more of a technical drilling fluids podcast. And mm-hmm. then I have this one, which is more what we're doing right now. And I cut people short and I say, do not tie podcasting to revenue. Do not tie marketing to revenue. I mean, there's ways of of trying to see a trend, but right now we've got more social media engagement than we do like revenue. Our revenue's going down, but our social media engagement's going up. So mm-hmm. it's it's not a linear trend that you're gonna see on both sides, but creating awareness and telling the story about the company is extremely important because a lot of it is about building a reputation. And if you've got a good reputation, you're going to stay relevant in the ecosystem. And if you're not relevant in the ecosystem, you are going to be left behind. And that's the way, you know, especially right now, a lot of decision makers, a lot of my customers are my age or younger, and I'm 34. There's a lot of people in their 20s making decisions on AFEs that are three and four million bucks. Like, so you need to be in front of them and you need to capture their attention, not by xyz booth at some conference that nobody goes to anymore that's right so it's just it's a different mindset and it's and it's how can we get in front of people and tell the dws or whatever abc operator service company whatever it is 
you know, to stay relevant and stay unique. It's and without having the expectations that I spend X dollars on social media or X dollars on marketing and I'm expected to have an ROI of X or Y. It's it's just not gonna happen. Now, over time, you may, but I think we're so early in the game that you don't have enough data to really see that. But the ones that are staying relevant in the marketplace and who are doing well, the common denominator is a strong marketing campaign. That's right. And so again, so I'm passionate about that and, and something that my company and we've done, in my opinion, very well and companies like yourself are doing great. So I wanted to touch on that because I think right now people are trying to find a way to, you know, kind of separate themselves. And I think that's certainly one way to do it. So it is. Yeah, good again. And so we're getting close to an hour here. We've been both babbling here. So I want to respect <laughs> your time. But before we close out, I always end with a few personal questions, but not too personal, but you know, more from sort of a work and routine side of things. Do you happen to have any daily routines or habits that help keep you motivated and plugged in, whether it's you know, a certain routine in the morning or before bed, or what does that look like for you? Sure. And I'm glad you said that because it's a reminder that I could kick this back into gear a, l- <laughs> a little bit more. Things have been a little different, obviously, the past. But before we kind of hit the lockdown, so to speak, I'm very habitual. And okay. so personally, for I, I know I definitely don't need to be on any swimsuit models or anything like like that. But uh, but before all this happened, if I started my morning right, which means I got up early, you know, for me, you know, be five o'clock or so, and and I'd get up and read a little bit, and then I'd go work out. About the time I was getting home, kind of kiddos were were waking up, and I could kind of tell them, you know, good morning and, yeah. and hello, and hop in the shower, and then drop my oldest off and then get on into work, you know, just after eight o'clock and kind of get the day going. And so before it was time to come home. So to me, when I'm at my best, I'm starting my days off with a good morning. And just like anybody else, you know, I was, and it was almost like a a habitual. It didn't even matter. I mean, I didn't even need an alarm clock, you know, it didn't matter how late I I stayed up. Your passion woke you up. That's right. That's it. Yeah. And that's been a little bit different just because schedules have been a little out of whack with the the kiddos at home. But still, even now, I feel like I'm personally, I have better days than not if I start my morning off right. And for me, that's kind of how I I started off. Okay. Uh, And I'm looking forward to things opening back up more like the, like the gym and stuff like that, because I've been making excuses like, you know, rather than sitting there doing a couple of push-ups or something at the house, you know, I'd go on a walk or something yeah. like that, which is fine, but it wouldn't be bad to kind of get in there and, and yeah. get sore a little bit. Too. Hey, look, I'm big into health and fitness as well. And and I kind of keep up with what's going on. And I know there's some gyms slowly starting to open up and, you know, there's certain protocols, but I'm not sure which, which gym or studio you go to, but you know, there's some that are requiring you to wear, you know, gloves on your hands, like full finger gloves and having to keep spaces. So I wonder what the whole, you know, gym community and, and business is going to look like, but I'm with you on that big into health and fitness. For me, if I win the morning, I win the day. And so, yep, certainly can identify with you on the morning routine sort of stuff. Another question I have is what's something about you that not many people know about? And by that, I mean, you have any interesting hobbies or unique little secrets that you'd like to unleash to the podcast world? No, honestly, not that people... Because of college, I used to play a lot more golf than I do now. If I do, it's industry related or whatever. Because if I have time with with four kids, you know, I'm gonna go spend. Yeah. Um, and people, I really don't have anything that probably people don't 
No, I'm very, very competitive. I really like the outdoors. Okay. Um, like spending time with my kids outdoors. We've got a family farm that's not too far from where we live. That's been a good place to go and get out. And very cool. Um, so no, I kind of find little things, you know, seeing one of the kids catch a fish, being outdoors, kind of, kind of seeing the beauty and that that whole deal is something that I've always liked, but it's it's compounded here yep. here recently. But I don't necessarily have a whole lot of uh, that's all right hidden secrets or and anything it, like that. You uh, know, and I ask that because sometimes I get you know just no, you know, this is what I do, this is what I like, and then other people say, well, you know, I, I'm really into aliens, and the next thing you know, we're talking ten minutes else. about aliens. Yeah. So I always find it interesting, man. So my, my wife tells me my brain never shuts off about work, even when I'm trying to make it, and she she's like, you're thinking about something over there and so maybe that's something that almost to a little bit of a fault you know it, sure well our biggest strength is off. sometimes our biggest weakness yeah you know what i mean so how do you turn it off then honestly going and doing some of that kind of i'm going to call it kind of going out to the country and just simplifying uh, mm. a little bit more is the easiest way for for me to turn it off because if i'm around any sort of technology so to speak whether it's a phone i mean i'm looking at the price of oil what's natural gas what i mean I, you can get to all that stuff so quick yeah uh, but I would say that's the best key is is kind of just really like literally putting it down. Yeah, which is hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It yeah. Is. Well, one last question. And kind of with that being said, when's the last time you've tried something for the first time? Wow. I'm going to have to think on that. You ended with a really good one. <laughs> and if you can't think of anything, that's totally fine. But I encourage you to think about it, man. Try- okay. No, I can't. I can't. I can okay. say it. All right. There you now, go. And so I'm not advocating for anybody to go have one of these, but, uh, <laughs> and maybe I'm way behind on times, but over the, the quarantine, my wife's like, Hey, go pick up this stuff right here from grocery store and, and liquor store or whatever. And uh, I was like, okay. And I was like, what is this? And she's like, it's called ranch water. Oh yeah. And, my and, boss made me one of those. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know if it's all the same or what, but like this particular recipe was like very specific on what type of Key West lime juice, what type of sparkling water, where and the you know, the mixtures and then yeah. you had this little Serrano pepper or something at the end. <laughs> yeah. And listen, I don't mess with that stuff at all in a long time because uh, <laughs> typically tequila and I have not gotten along in the past and sure. uh but I had that, so that's the first thing that I've never, because I've never even, you know, messed with it, but it was the most refreshing drink I may have ever had in no my way. entire life. And so I really enjoyed it, but I quickly learned that I probably just need to enjoy it like once because <laughs> it could easily turn into too refreshing. So, hey, that's good. I knew there was something. <laughs> Man, that's good. That ranch water, it, it is good. So, it, you can easily Google it and get a recipe, but yeah, see, you're adventurous, man. You're not just <laughs> well, a typical dad, you know, but awesome. Well, look, I'd like to take a few moments to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. 
We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Awesome. Thanks. Anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. They're going to be opening up shortly, so hopefully by June, and this will probably air sometime in June or July, we'll be back on the ice and ready to hit them up. And if you're looking to get in shape for the summer, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Taylor, thanks again for joining me today, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. What's the best way for people to reach out to the group or just to get to know more about the company? Sure. Our website is is downholewellsolutions with an S.com. There's information about our our tools and kind of who we are on there. And then a link where you basically can send myself, Chandler and Avi. It all goes to us, but it's a direct email that comes to us. It's info at downholewellsolutions.com. Perfect. And any questions anybody has, we'd love to answer and be able to help in any way. Excellent. Well, we'll put the links in the show notes, man. That way, if anyone has any questions, they can click them and easily access you guys. So yeah. And again, well, thanks everybody for listening. Appreciate it. And if you could subscribe and leave a review, that'd be great. And always remember everybody when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.